Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics and trash from a feminist perspective. My name is Tanya Ali. And I'm Mari Stewart, filling in today for Katie Winton. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resilience, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and I would like to honour that history. Today we are stoked to be chatting to broadcaster and educator Namilla Benson who will be appearing at a panel discussion called Amazing Babes happening as part of the Emerging Writers Festival in Melbourne on June 25. We'll be hearing from Namilla about her thoughts on representation and the power of community radio. We'll also be joined today by Emily Dash and Sarah Vine Vassello to chat about disability and access in the arts. So Emily is a founding member of theatre company Midnight Feast and Sarah Vine is the artistic driving force behind an integrated performance company called Murmuration. And they both appeared recently on a panel at the Sydney Opera House called Inclusive Cultures. So we'll be hearing a bit more about that later on in today's show. Mari, were you ever a Daria fan growing up? Yeah, I definitely watched a few reruns here and there of Daria. Um, And I think like most angsty teenagers, I related pretty strongly with her kind of sarcastic cynicism that she's known for. Um, And also a fun fact, Daria actually pushed me into a short-lived career as an activist when I was around 12 (laughs) or 13. Um, So I was really strongly influenced by an episode about energy drink sponsorship in schools. And for some reason, I kind of related that to um, like community advertising um, in primary schools. So I actually sent my first and last letter to the local paper about how um, these schools shouldn't be putting up advertising banners around the fence. Um, and I don't know how that got published, but it did. So thanks, Daria, for the public humiliation. <laughs> I love that story so much. Uh, I was a little bit of a Daria fan um, when it was airing on the ABC, I remember, not really understanding it at all, but thinking it was super cool. And then when I was about 15, I got the whole series on DVD and watched it all over a summer. And I felt it on almost like a spiritual level. I loved it so much. So I was very excited, but also conflicted to see that MTV have announced a reboot of Daria. Yeah, so the new series is called Daria and Jody, um, and it's going to be written by Grace Edwards, who's worked with um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Broad City and Inside Amy Schumer. So the protagonist, um, Daria, I'm not going to uh, attempt to pronounce her last name. Morgan <laughs> You got it. And one of her closest friends, Jody Landon, will apparently deconstruct popular culture, social classes 
gender and race with their signature satirical voice. Definitely sounds like my kind of show. I am cautiously optimistic. And also, Jodie was by far the coolest but most underserved character in Daria, so I'm very glad that she's finally getting the spotlight. And from TV to tunes, this week was a pretty big one in terms of music releases. Coming up, we're going to be hearing brand new tracks from Brisbane producer Rebel Yell and Perth duo Feels. If you do want to listen to the tracks that we play on today's show, on demand, you can head to Music New South Wales Spotify account for their Women in Electronic Music playlist, which is curated for agenda. Speaking of music news, um, Jay-Z and Beyonce surprised the internet this week with a joint album called Everything is Love. Um, And I don't know if you've listened to it, Tanya, but it's pretty amazing. Yes, I have had a good few listens. To me, the first few spins kind of sounded like one big song. The transitions felt really smooth, but I couldn't really differentiate um, between when new songs started or if it was just a bit of a shift in one whole track or also when the album like looped back to the start, I had no idea. But... After listening to it a few more times, I feel like it's a grower and goddamn, can Beyonce rap? There's also so much to unpack in the lyrics. Yeah, so it kind of follows on from Beyonce's 2016 album Lemonade and Jay-Z's 2017 album 444. And a lot of the drama that kind of surrounded their relationship since 2014 and whether or not that whole backstory of like the infamous elevator fight with Solange and references to Becky with the good hair is all manufactured and obviously that's up to debate but the album is such a beautiful celebration of blackness and self-love and just the biggest power couple in the world so give it a spin if you haven't already yes let's take a listen to a track now from the carters everything is love you may have heard the back chat crew uh spin ape shit the lead single off the record um there's also a great music video that comes with that tune but we're gonna play one for you called black effect you are tuned into agenda on fbi radio stick around for thoughts that count up next where we'll be talking all about the power of community radio language joining on this one Well, there's love of children, love of self, love of God, love of a partner. And all of them have a different shape, but all of them is the same in the end. It's about sensitivity. It's about passion. It's about unconditional giving of self to another person. And there's love of humanity. That's the love that is right now needed most, love of humanity. But in everything, in all of that love, there is a soul. It's like when you take some eggs and break them and you, and you take the shape, you take the shells and mix them up, trying to find the ones that match. When you find the perfect match, that comparative results in passion, results in unconditional giving of self. I hope I can say that again. Yeah. I'm good on any MLK Boulevard I'm good on any MLK Boulevard See my vision with a tech, bitch, I'm Malcolm X Haters dreading my effect, they want that DOS effects Get your hands up high like a false arrest Let me see them up high, this is not a test Yes, put them up, this is not a test Now hands where I can see them, fuck the false arrest white fit that I rock shit permanent Hmm the fro that I grow got no permanent. Hmm. 
A nigga laid, but he best dressed. Got slowed down by the weight of my necklaces. Parkin' projects, bitch, I'm reckless. Extra magazine, hopped on the jet with my ebony check. Blacker than the S's vest. The behind the back pass is so effortless. LeBron James to you, Amorosis. Dapper Dan at 4 a.m., shit, I am the culture. I made my own wave, so now they anti-title. I'm living a no-sock life despite you. Since the Khalif died, they been at my neck. Y'all can tell them Trayvon is coming next. The SEC, the FBI, or the IRS. I pass the alphabet boys like an eye test. Yeah, yeah. I'm good on any MLK Boulevard. I'm good on any MLK Boulevard. See my vision with a tech, bitch, I'm Malcolm X. Hate this dread in my effect, they want that DOS effect. Get your hands up high like a phosphorus. Fuck a false arrest. Listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and for Thoughts That Count this week, 
We're talking about the importance of community radio as a tool for sharing stories and hearing voices that we usually don't get access to in film or TV, particularly here in Australia. So text in on 0409945945. Why is radio important to you? Was it the first time you tuned in to a station broadcast in your language or a particular talkback host that you really connected to? Let us know on 0409-945-945. Radio has been bringing people together since its inception right at the start of the 20th century. And I feel like the spirit of community radio is giving a platform to voices and ideas that might not normally have a place in mainstream media. For me, when I first started listening to community radio, I think I was always really, really excited to have the chance to connect or participate via texting in. Um, I remember the first show that I was super obsessed with was FBI Radio's Versus, hosted at the time by Nick Coyle as well as Eddie Sharp, who still hosts it to this day. You can tune into it um, on Sundays at 10 a.m. It always had a really interactive element, and I think that the way that community radio mobilizes not just broadcasters but people who are tuning in as well is super, super special. Yeah, Versus is such a gem. Um, I really think FBI is a special community here in Sydney, um, not just for the hundreds of volunteers that host or produce shows or work behind the scenes, but also for the supporters and listeners that allow us to stay on air. And FBI um, is actually also part of a larger community of broadcasters called CBAA, and this is what they had to say about the importance of community radio. I think community broadcasting is really important because it gives voice to the kind of people who didn't have voice before and it gives them a place to like have their voice together. It's a place for an incredible diversity of voices, issues and ideas to be shared with not just the people who are interested in those issues and ideas but to a wider community as well. I learned a lot about finding out what my opinions about things were by being around a really diverse group of people and getting on air. It's about hearing local people, it's about hearing our stories for ourselves, by ourselves, you know, and then sharing them with others and then sharing them with the world now over the internet. Broadcaster and educator Namila Benson is someone who knows the power and importance of community radio really well. I caught up with Namila earlier this week and this is part of our chat. I guess to start, I wanted to know, do you remember what initially drew you to broadcasting? Uh, yeah, look, I'm taking it back. 25 years this year it'll be, actually. Wow. Uh, and I come from a Pacific Islander background, and growing up in Australia, I just never really saw any sort of representation of women of colour, um, but specifically Pacific Islander women. And when you don't have ownership over your narratives, it's usually a very problematic narrative that is out there. So my background is Papua New Guinean, and I would hear Australian media come of talking about PNG and not really recognising who or what this nation was that Australian media would be talking about because my connection to my homeland was very, very different to what was being reported. So that was a huge turning point for me to go, you know what, enough, we need to take charge of our own stories. Such a really, really important step to make, but a difficult one too, I think, to be 
the person who forges those new boundaries and directions, I guess. What do you reckon made you go into radio specifically as opposed to other mediums? I know you're a writer as well. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, it was so extraordinary to me to come across like my boo-boos who are my grandparents in my homeland in Papua New Guinea. They would take their little transistor radios to the gardens, to the markets. They'd sit drinking tea in the village and, you know, they were constantly listening to the radio. And I'd hear Dad having really robust and in-depth uh, conversations with my grandfathers about global politics, about national politics, about regional politics. And, you know, hearing my grandparents who never had the opportunity to go to even primary school, being able to engage in these kind of in-depth conversations. And that came from radio. And my uh, boobos, my grandparents, also spoke... Uh, beautiful English as well, you know. And again, that was from radio. So they had very British clipped accents. It was almost a little bit like the Queen's English. You know, radio did incredible things and, and continues to in my homeland, the way it connects people. And that's why radio, as I know, understand and love it, will always be my primary medium. That's so awesome. You were a part of the panel at AudioCraft called What is the Australian Sound? Could you tell us a little bit about it and the kind of discussions you were having on that? Yeah, so uh, they handpicked six audio and content makers to explore or tackle the challenge of this huge question, which is what is the Australian sound? And I wanted to put forward this idea because race is such a huge part of Australia, you know, and it's mm. something that we absolutely have no knowledge about how to engage with the topic and to do so in a respectful manner, you know, because the thing is with media, there are always three core questions. Who's telling the story? Who are they telling the story about? And who are they telling the story to? So that was something in terms of the Australian sound that I wanted people to kind of critique in terms of their practice, because being a black woman, we're often spoken about rather than two and the dynamic is so incredibly different when we hand over the mics to communities this is why I love community radio for that reason that it makes space for communities to actually tell their own stories. Actually, I was going to ask about community radio because, of course, you've been a community broadcaster at Melbourne's 3RRR, which I feel like has a lot of parallels to FBI radio. And I wanted to speak to you about the importance of community radio as a woman of colour as well and, and going into that space because I do feel like FBI radio has, over the past few years, been becoming a lot more... I guess, representative of what the makeup of Sydney actually is, but it hasn't always been this way. So That's I, right. Yeah, it's exciting to see that change. Is it is it similar in Melbourne? Yes, the shift is definitely happening. And, you know, community radio is incredibly white. There's no doubt about that, which is really strange when you think of the ethos of why it was set up and the purpose it's supposed to serve, it's really great that so many community radio stations in Melbourne are now actively trying to do better and tapping into communities that they've largely ignored. And I don't want to necessarily be the one to have to hand talented members of the community over to community stations either. I think that it's the, the onus rests on communities 
community radio stations to have to do the labour of getting to understand communities, getting to know members of communities. So it's exciting times in Melbourne at the moment. I just <laughs> see how incredible some of, you know, there's so many amazing young black presenters who are just kicking goals and I couldn't be prouder. In fact, I feel smug about how talented and intelligent and just how much fire they bring to the airwaves, you know? It is so, so exciting to see. I know for me, I've kind of been grappling more and more with the implications of being a broadcaster who is also a woman of colour, also queer, and kind of like the weirdness and privilege, I suppose, of having a voice in a way throughout your career. Have you ever felt that conflict and tension between your identity and then the pressure to use your platform? I mean, obviously, as women of colour as well, we want to use our platform in a really impactful way, but it is a burden to bear as well. It really is. You've nailed it. You've said it absolutely spot on. It is a burden sometimes, and yes, it is a real privilege and a pleasure in a lot of ways. But sometimes I feel like elements of my identity are wrestled from me with the expectation to just publicly hand it over when sometimes I just want to play music and not have to explain myself or explain my context. But that whole thing of being able to just make radio without the weight of responsibility that we feel every time we sit behind the mic as black women. It's been rare in my career that I've had the opportunity to just be lazy and slack and not give things much thought. Like that's not an opportunity that's easily presented to black women because you're right, we do feel a deep sense of responsibility. You know, like if I was a white man and I had the skills, the knowledge, and just the the insight that I bring to my practice, I would be so well rewarded. But it's this sense of expectation because I'm a black woman that I will just happily give up time in my day to not only find really effective and talented people on behalf of particular organisations, but to be there as a source of comfort, you know, as a counsellor, to help them through the structures and to navigate what can be highly difficult um, and oppressive white spaces to step into. I mean, there's so much that's expected, and it is because I'm a black woman. Completely. I have just been sitting here nodding (laughs) so, so vigorously. And we know it. Totally. It's very tricky, but it's such an important role you play and I can't thank you enough. We're all doing it. We're all doing it. (laughs) (laughs) If you've just tuned in to Agenda on FBI Radio, we're chatting with broadcaster and educator Namilla Benson, who will be appearing at a panel discussion called Amazing Babes, happening as part of Emerging Writers Festival in Melbourne on June 25th. So stick around um, for more about that event coming up right after this new track from Rebel Yell. It's called Toxic.
That was Rebel Yell with Toxic. You're tuned in to Agenda on FBI Radio. And right now we're speaking to broadcaster and educator Namilla Benson. You're hosting Amazing Babes as part of this year's Emerging Writers Festival in Melbourne. Could you tell us a bit about the event? Oh my gosh. Okay. So Amazing Babes, I mean, really, the name says it all. (laughs) And this is, I mean, it's not as if I'm not already busy enough, but I said yes because I saw the lineup and I'm like, where the hell do I sign up? Yes, put me down for this. We have got a lineup of, yes, Amazing Babes. And these are all women who are currently just doing, like, they're moving mountains to push our communities, our collective communities forward in a range of different ways. I love and respect what these women do through their practices, through their writing, through their creativity, like, just on so many levels, just repping as proud, you know, women of colour and doing extraordinary stuff to, you know, make sure that they're lifting it constantly, lifting and raising the sisterhood. And, um, you know, it's that whole thing of each one reach one, you know. Like, they, I love that they work collaboratively, but then individually they're also doing really, really extraordinary stuff as well. And, you know, it's First Nations women, like with Kate Ten Buren. Um, there's Leah Avene, who is a beautiful Islander sister from Tuvalu. Um, there's Idil Ali, who's a gorgeous Somali sister who's so, oh my God, so talented. Um, Sereti Kadir, who's just an amazing spoken word poet. Uh, another First Nations sister, Eugenia Flint. Like, it's just, I mean, it's just wall-to-wall incredible women who are doing great things, not only in the arts, but also working um, on ground level with various communities. Um, some of them are going into schools and doing great workshops in there. So it's just, oh, it's going to be so fantastic. And I'm just going to be sitting up on stage with this weird, silly 
goofy grin the whole night just watching each of them step up to the mic and saying you know their piece about um just remarkable women who've influenced them um how they've become remarkable women who knows what kind of poetic and magical and musical delights they'll drop on us during the evening oh so exciting i am so jealous that i can't <laughs> be there to be honest but i hope that some agenda listeners are able to go more broadly the emerging writers festival um lineup is super super incredible um mm. do you have any other highlights that spring to mind that you're really excited to be in the audience for you know what? I'm actually really looking forward to the speakeasy dinners that they're going to be doing. So, you know, there's this whole thing with dinner table conversations that in order for people to have uh, an enjoyable dinner, there are all these taboo topics that you're not allowed to touch on. And they'll be touching on three of them over three separate events. So there'll be one speakeasy on money, another one on sex, and another one on death. And in fact, the death one to me is one, yeah, it's all a bit macabre, but I I actually am looking forward to checking that one out because I think in Western society, there's this really, there's such weird attitudes around death and there's actually not, I don't know, I feel like the rituals get taken away in a lot of ways from friends and and, or just loved ones and family um, and handed over to strangers to overtake that and to tell the stories of this person who has died. But even with the language, like we'll say, oh, they passed on or they passed away. Like we find death very confrontational. And that is one to me where I'm like, I think I need, I really want to check that out because in Islander culture, even when people have died, they're still very present in our day-to-day lives. So we still talk to family and we'll still call out to them, you know, if we're doing celebrations and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I just think a lot of the ideas and discussions and debates that will come from this event will be incredible. Yeah, that sounds like such a fascinating conversation. I feel like... Yeah, it could go so many different ways as well. That's awesome. Absolutely, because one of the um, guests who'll be taking part, because they're serving dinner and everything during it as well, but Hayley West is one of the guests who'll be taking part in the deaf speakeasy, and she is a deaf literacy advocate. And she's got an incredible personal story because she came from a family, um, you know, where it's like Anglo culture, but you're not allowed to talk about death. You didn't have the discussions um, and she'd never really had a lot of experience necessarily with it in her younger years. But then both her parents died and what that kind of opened up with her and how it's switching up in her parenting style now um, is really interesting. So I think she'll have a lot of really fascinating insights and just what she has to say about, I guess, the broader Australian culture, even in, say, rural and regional towns um, compared to metropolitan, you know, because I guess especially with animals, with farmers having to deal with um, animals and and cattle, etc., there's a lot of death that they have to deal with, but then, uh, you know, it's very high rates of suicide as well in rural towns and regional towns and kind of looking at the relationship around that. Anyway, there's lots of, yeah incredible places to go with it. Yeah, I'm excited to speak to you after after the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Namilla, it has been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much oh my for God, giving up my. your time. Tanya.
Um, uh, usually on Agenda, we ask guests for a friendship or love song dedication to finish up the interview. Do you have anything that springs to mind? Uh, do you know what? If you could play um, Laura Umbrella's uh, Phenomenal Woman, I think we just dedicate that we shout that out to all the amazing babes. I totally agree. Um, do you have a particular memory associated with the song at all? Look, I have to say, going to see Laura Umvula uh, at the Recital Centre last year and, and I was with a whole bunch of incredible sisters who just looked amazing um, and then we got to meet her afterwards. But, amazing. You know, we went nuts when that song came on and we were just singing it to each other. We were just yelling it in each other's face because we were so excited. <laughs> You have been listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and we've been hearing from broadcaster, writer and educator Namela Benson. If you do happen to be in Melbourne this Monday, you can head to Amazing Babes as part of the Emerging Writers Festival at the Northcote Town Hall. Jump to emergingwritersfestival.org.au for info and tickets. Right after this track, we'll be joined by Emily Dash and Sarah Vine Vassallo to chat about disability and access in the arts. This is Phenomenal Woman by Laura Mfula.
on today's show has been curated by Music New South Wales to showcase women in electronic music. Fields with They Need Us. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and we're joined now by Emily Dash and Sarah Vine Vasalo, who spoke on a panel at the Sydney Opera House on May 12th called Inclusive Cultures About Disability and Access in the Arts. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thanks. Hi. Thanks for having us. We'll be hearing a bit more about inclusive cultures later on, um, but just to give our listeners a bit of a background, Emily, could you talk us through what Midnight Feast is and your role there? Yeah, okay, so I'm a writer and an actor and a motivational speaker. I have my own independent career working in theatre and film, 
but I also work with a number of companies, and one of them is Midnight Feast. Midnight Feast is an integrative theatre company, um, which means that we work with actors with and without disabilities, and we are a very new company. We've just gone independent, and we have performed at the Opera House for the last couple of years, so that's what we do. Awesome, awesome. Um, Sarah Vine, can you tell us um, about what Murmuration is and a bit about your involvement there? Yeah, sure. Um, so Murmuration is a multi-art form company. Um, we work with a collective of artists with and without disabilities. And our artists are made up of um, uh, across disciplines, so dance, theatre, musicians, visual artists, um, composers, sonographers, and basically the idea of the collective is depending on the project or the the job at hand, we work with different artists from that collective to present work, create work, make work. Awesome. Um, and Sarah Vine, you were also recently announced as one of 10 practitioners chosen to lead Create New South Wales's um, 2018 Western Sydney Arts Screen and Culture Roundtable. Um, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your involvement in the arts in Western Sydney and um, a bit about what you hope to change or influence in terms of inclusive practice in that region? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a, I'm a Westie at heart. I grew up out in the Hills District. Um, that's where all my family live and I've actually recently returned there um, the full circle as it goes <laughs> a little bit more green, a little bit more fresh air and a little less rent um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, look, it's, a, it's actually for quite a long time been a thriving area in terms of arts there's a lot of training out there um, but what has tend to happen in the, in the past is that people kind of do a lot of their arts training, performing arts or theatre or visual arts training and then migrate to the city. Um, whereas I think as, you know, our our city becomes more and more gentrified, we're all spreading out further and further. One, to be able to survive, but two, because actually where the fringe is is really where the heart of great art making is. Um, I'm excited to be based out there now again the last two years memoration um it has been based out there um and yeah i'm i'm actually feel quite honored that the lineup on the panel is 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 i'm a little bit in an awe of a few people on the panel but also who else is on that panel oh gosh you're gonna make me say names but um yeah well there's um uh, i know um urban theater projects quite a, a renowned indigenous visual artist it's, it's a really mixed panel. Um, I'm kind of there representing performing arts and inclusive practice. I guess mm -hmm. that's my, my voice to the table. Um, I have been in the arts for 25 years now. Um, so I'm quite um, quite proud of that achievement. And um, yeah, just found I founded Murmuration five years ago. So this is our, our fourth year of, of business. Huge. Um, in terms of the panel that you both did at the Opera Ooh. House last month, Inclusive mm. Cultures, it looked at questions around how we can move beyond the frames of disability and access and also what inclusive practice really looks like in the arts. Uh, what were some of the takeaways of that discussion? Mm. Um, I think one of the things that we spoke about was that I think that as well as moving beyond the principles of access and inclusion, mm. I, I I don't think it's all about moving beyond them. It can sometimes be about moving towards them. 
So in some circumstances, basic access requirements in the arts are not being met. And so I think sometimes, even though it's important to talk about moving beyond those paradigms, I think sometimes it's important also to make sure that that basic access and inclusion is being met, that there are opportunities for people with disabilities in the arts industry to express themselves as professional artists, to enjoy, you know, all these same arts experiences as everyone else does. Um, Yeah, so I think that's something that we... It was quite a provocation for us because we were kind of like, oh, do we need to move beyond it? Or actually, do we need to move towards it? Because from our point of view, our artists, our practice, our mob... That's those are the things we actually need, and those are the, yeah. that is actually part of who we are. So mm. this idea of moving beyond it is great, but yeah, we love the the expression of well, let's move towards it, and like, what does that look like? Like, a, well, that's a challenge for society. You know, that's a challenge yeah. for culture to kind of break down preconceived ideas of what an artist with a disability might look like, feel like, how they might make art. That's actually moving towards it, and that's yeah. actually where change can be created. Mm. Um, on a kind of broad level, do you think there are specific ways that exhibitions and different types of exhibitions like installation works or performance spaces um, could be more inclusive in terms of access? Um, I think that one of the things that's really important is to, in the name of inclusive practice, is to have people with disabilities or mental health issues or whoever you might be dealing with included in every aspect of the development process. Mm. So right from the development of concept to script development to rehearsals to, you know, everything that is done needs to really engage on a deep level with those who you want to represent. Mm. Nothing about us without us. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm. Mm. And and I think that's where actually exciting work is made because then it's a, a more authentic and, and true expression of the intention. We talk about it as well, but it's like access, if we're also talking about physical access as well, it's like it actually has to be considered from the beginning. It's yeah. very hard to tap it on at the end. Yeah. It does come with a cost a lot of the time, but there are also creative ways of getting around that and also mm-hmm. just being clear, I think, about what access you do have, you know, because then um, the the community that might be accessing a particular art form in a particular way, they, they will identify, say, with the universal symbols of, mm. oh, it is wheelchair accessible or there is an Auslan interpreter. So it's about communicating mm. those things as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think because there is a little bit of a, a bubble in, in our... I guess, subsector or a real brewing, um, there has been a tendency for people to kind of all of a sudden want to work with artists with disability and get money for, for artists with disability and not actually work with anybody with a disability. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that comes back to cult- cultural mm. competence and mm. that's something Em and I have really been advocating for the importance of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, beyond your work with Midnight Feast and Murmurations, Are there any um, particular artists or curators or groups that you admire that are doing um, this in positive ways? 
Yeah, look, I've been lucky enough to work with some great people um, that are doing really great inclusive work. And I know you said beyond murmuration, <laughs> but I just have to um, acknowledge the work of Sarah Vine because I think she's amazing and her practice and what she does is amazing. Um, but there are so many other people who are doing great work. People, for example, like Alison Richardson. Dean Walsh. People like Dean Walsh. Um, Dean Watson at the Australian Chamber Orchestra. These are all people who have not only been really committed to access and inclusion in their own work and everything they do, but and integration, but also supported me in my career and and encouraged me to take opportunities so I wouldn't be anywhere <laughs> without without the support of those people. People like Alison Evans, for example. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch, even people like, uh, there's an amazing, disabled um, circus performer by the name of Sarah Hubold, um, who does really interesting work with me in terms of um, what we call the aesthetic of access, which is about incorporating access requirements into performances rather than as we were saying, taking them on at the end. So yes, there are so many people who I've just listed who are doing really innovative, amazing work. And what's lovely about that too is that um, everyone that M has said, I, I would say the same, yeah. as well as other shopfront theatre for young yeah. people, Margot Politis, Kay Armstrong. Um, we're actually a really... Um, uh, supportive community, yeah. which is so nice because, you know, there's parts of the arts that can be a bit snooty or exclusive or whatever. And um, it's really nice that we've all got each other's back and support each other's work and believe that there is room. Yeah. You know, there's room for everyone to make their way. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention about the people that we're talking about is the level of professionalism. So we're not talking about, you know, um, community arts for people with disability. Nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that. But we're talking about the professionalisation of arts and disability yeah. in New South Wales in Australia. Yeah. Um, and also, just picking up on your point about the fact that we're all very supportive of each other. So I think that the general arts community can be quite competitive, but mm. um, when it comes to artists with disabilities, I think that we are all generally very supportive of people getting opportunities. And even though we all, some of us go for the same opportunities mm. and yes. end up on the same panels and events and things, um, we're all really happy for people to succeed. So for um, someone that I'm thinking of when I'm saying this, there's an amazing artist with disability by the name of Daniel Monks, who's doing really amazing stuff. And both myself and Sarah Vine are just so 
encouraged by that and, and, you know, wanting that to succeed. We're all kind of burgeoning, I guess, and emerging together. Like, whilst the work of artists within that disability have been happening for a long time, and, like, particularly in the UK, there's much more of a stronger sector or more established sector. Yeah. Um, I think because we are all on the pulse and on the edge, it actually really brings us together. Yeah. Like I'm working on a on a film development at the moment, a screenplay of which Daniel Monks and yeah. Dan Dor are the lead characters in. And, and just... And yeah. you, you're working on something else with Daniel at the moment, yes. aren't you? Yeah. 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 So it's lo- lots of lovely intersections. So, yeah, we intersect quite a lot, which is really Cross-pollinate. nice. Cross-pollinate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Emily Dash and Sarah Vine Vasalo, thank you so, so much for coming in. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Um, yeah, Thanks thank for having you. us. Thank you. <laughs> You've been tuned in to Agenda on FBI Radio. You can listen back to the program at fbiradio.com slash programs or via your favorite podcast app do stick around for weekend lunch with ted dwyer and we'll catch you next week No, no, no.